everybody, and welcome. This is episode 296 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Network. I am James, joined by Paul, and uh, pinch hitting for Ryan this week, who's in New York, is Spencer Michaelis joining us again. So good the first time we had to have him back. How are you doing this morning, Spencer? I'm doing well. Got to actually attend a Brewers win for the first time in a couple months. Hey, congratulations. Nice, nice. Were you at the Saturday night game? I was, yes. Nice. So was I. I took a bus trip down there for a friend's birthday party and didn't get home until after midnight. So if I sound a little rough, that's probably why. But <laughs> hey, we saw a win, Spencer. That was nice. Yes, we did. It's about time. Uh, Whereas I was taking in a classical music concert with my kids at Ravinia. So um, also didn't get home till late and similarly wiped out from it. But uh, that's a, a little bit different. That place no. is cool, and they don't, as far as I can tell, run a train from Kenosha to it, which is dumb because it's like five stops away from it. Um, and uh, for those who don't know what Ravinia is, it's like a a big a big lawn kind of aping Central Park kind of feeling. We bring picnics and stuff, and like it's literally on a train line. Like it's you just get off the train and you are literally right there. And they run one from Chicago because that's what it's for. But like you could run one the other way, and I don't know why they don't. It makes no sense. Trains are ridiculous in this country. Yeah, yeah, and in this state, uh, there's a lot of questions. Yeah. All right, uh, let's <laughs> let's talk some Brewers because, as Spencer said, uh, they they won on Saturday, so that feels nice. And uh, the Reds seem to be on a bit of a slide here, so uh, the the Brewers could make some hay in the division. I but, wake up uh, every morning and I expect to see them like a game and a half out of first, and they just keep being in first. It's it's really yeah. nice. Yeah, it's wild. It it's is wild. wild. This division, man. <laughs> All right. Uh, we, we got some questions also about the trade deadline. So a reminder, you can get question priority, become a patron at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Two bucks a month gets you that question priority. Make sure your questions get answered both on this podcast and on the Packers reporting as eligible podcast. Five bucks gets you that question priority plus additional exclusive content, the minor league extra with Ryan and James Anderson of Rotowire, of course, and Paul's Packers mini pods. Uh, Paul, I, I assume you weren't able to uh, watch family night because, you know, you're outside the lines of Wisconsin and they don't stream that. That is absolutely correct. Um, everybody very mad about that at my my football place of employment, but um, we'll, we'll manage to see it somehow. They, they get enough highlights out there, so all good. Seems like it went well, so that's good. Uh, and by the way, we will have a proper reporting as eligible this week. Knock on wood, looks like it's good good to go. So that'll be that'll be posting at its normal time Wednesday ish. If you didn't see already, Paul, the Packers are tweeting out highlights from Family Night, so I hope nobody gets a competitive advantage from oh, that. Oh, hopefully not. Yes, um, that would be the worst. Yeah, absolutely just ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know why sports teams make it so hard for fans to watch their content. It's it's not like the Vikings and Bears are incapable of setting up a VPN and watching some Wisconsin TV station. Well, they send anyway. scouts. We know they send scouts. And it's still pointless. Like, if you don't want to be scouted at family night, don't run real plays like you do in the preseason. You don't have to. <laughs> right. It's just it makes no practice. sense. Yeah. I don't, it's not I, even a full scrimmage. Maybe anymore. it was just yeah. too big of a pain for him or something. Who knows? But they, they make it they make it hard. That's. <sighs> they do. No they reason do. for that. Anyway. All right. Uh, you guys can talk about that on reporting as eligible. Yep. Meanwhile, uh, the Brewers, of course, had the actual trade deadline in the last week. So we, we joined you last on the eve of trade deadline day. And at that point, they had already added Carlos Santana and Mark Canna. You can check our archives for what we thought about those deals. But uh, they weren't done with the trading by the deadline them- itself. They, they made a couple of deadline day deals. They swung one of those... Major League reliever for reliever swaps that we saw this year. A lot of teams doing that, just trading big league relievers. They sent out uh, Peter Struzlecki, of course, to Ander- Arizona for Andrew Chafin, who's already somewhat of a cult hero because of his, uh, you know, ringing resemblance to Pete Vukovic and others. <laughs> uh, he likes beer, so that's nice. Um, they also seem to, I guess, give up on Luis Urias, shipping I mean, him out to Boston. No other way to spin it than that, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So they got a pitching prospect, Bradley Blaylock, in return. So we've got a question about Urias coming up. But first, I guess let's just take the Patreon question from you're either a smart fella or a fart smella, asking, simple and short, did the Brewers do enough at the deadline? Uh, Spencer, you're a special guest here. How about we start with you? Did they do enough? Yes, it kind of depends on what your definition is of enough. Um, Sure. For me, yes. They... 
upgraded some awful spots in their lineup with some average spots <laughs> to make them average in their lineup. And that's actually a big upgrade for this lineup. Um, in a lot of cases, it wouldn't be, but for the Brewers, it it is a big upgrade. It, it did make them a decent amount better overall. Um, I think Strews Lucky for Chafin is a reasonable deal. I mean, um, Chafin and him have actually been pretty similar this year in terms of overall numbers, but Chafin's got the longer track record, and he's probably they probably thought they needed a lefty after Justin Wilson got hurt. So sure. um, that one, I, I could see that one looking kind of iffy in a while. If Strews Lucky does find what he had last year, and he's got five years of control or whatever for the Diamondbacks, but um, the Brewers find people like Strews Lucky all over the place every year they can find somebody like that they kind of snap their fingers and they've got a guy just like him undrafted or a independent ball signing so um and then i mean in terms of the rias deal i think they were planning on non-tendering him so they made a trade where they figured they'd get something for him before they gave up on him this offseason but i feel like they they upgraded the team they did it without giving up anything significant um and they should make the playoffs. This team is good enough to make the playoffs. So you get in the playoffs, you give yourself a chance. Yeah. Um, I, I think they did kind of all they could reasonably do. It's the thing about like um, it being a serious contender for a World Series championship versus making sure that you make the playoffs. And I'm not... I still think they're like a sure thing for the playoffs. Their their reference odds are actually less than the Cubs right now, by the way. <laughs> um, That's I haven't, scary. I haven't yeah. checked their fan graphs odds, but... Um, they they made like smart upgrades. They they tackled a bunch of their weak spots and they they did all that. They got another relief pitcher for depth. Um, it was a smart deadline. I do wish they would have gotten Jake Berger, who, who I think would have added, who would have made their lineup like legitimately not difficult to get through, but like a, a real big boy lineup instead of what we roll out every day. Um, and he was right there for the taking and would have fit in so well, but alas. Um, but yeah, they did enough to. I would say reasonably get themselves in, which is all you can really ask without really selling the farm. And, you know, if you're going for stars, like if you're trying to lure like former MVPs off of failing teams, you're probably going to be parting with Churio or something like it. And that's not smart either. So yeah, this is, I think all they could really, uh, all they could reasonably do, which I could quibble with a couple things, but yeah, it, it was, it was pretty smart. Like they, they got average guys to replace garbage and that's all they had to do. Also, it, it sort of seems like, at least on the hitting side, average guys was all that was available. Yeah, right? true. We ne- didn't really see like a star bat moved at all. Um, you know, so I, I think the fact that, you know, Carlos Santana was one of the more notable <laughs> bats moved at the deadline, I think this is a, kind of a win for the Brewers there. Fair, fair point. Yeah. Um, going back to the Fangraphs playoff odds. So as of this morning, uh, the Brewers are at 62.6% chance to win the division comes Better, at 25 and a half uh 74.8 chance to make the uh playoffs cubs are at 42.9 nice. um and i don't know if you guys saw um dan Samborski's usual post trade deadline simulation on basically value added or uh chances improved after the playoffs the the, the brewers are actually the third highest uh increase in playoff percentage chance nice. after the deadline uh number two was the cubs so that's a little bit of a problem but <laughs> uh i i guess you could point to that and say too very few teams improved themselves as much as the brewers yeah. at the deadline prospectus so. also has the brewers as the the heavy favorite in the central at 65.7 percent cubs though are second there at about 49 so um that's they're 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 lurking and they are dangerous they're- they're starting to surge a little bit. Yeah, yeah, they they beat the crap out of the Reds a couple of nights in a row. Wrigley was rocking for those games. Uh, Cody Bellinger looking uh, like maybe the comeback player of the year. Yep. We're talking a little bit about the Yelly versus Belly conversation a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but yeah, they're, they seem to be putting it together if they can get some pitching consistently. I, I think they are somebody to kind of keep an eye out as the Reds maybe seem to be fading back after they did uh, Jack squad at the deadline. So... All right. Uh, next question comes from Jay Google here, uh, talking about Luis Urias, asking, "What do you make of the Urias trade? Obviously, he battled injuries, but just couldn't get back to one of his first years with the bouncy ball. 
also who takes over the 80 grade <laughs> hit tool now uh so paul you, you know like like you said it kind of just seems like they gave up on him i don't know if it's like uh he just fell in a depth chart what do you think so first of all, the second part first. Uh, Self Relic is the 80 grade hit tool guy. Like that's sure. <laughs> as soon as he came up, I was posting memes about Urias being jealous of his hit tool. So, um, <laughs> and I, I do think they just took a hard look at him. And uh, we talk a lot about Luis Urias here. When he's healthy, he's been a consistent like two ish WAR guy, which is not useless. But um, I do think he's a little bit tricky because uh, you know he he's not. He's not that good of a defensive player, just for starters. He, he's he's okay, but he's one of those guys where you know you hope he sticks it short, and he didn't, and is shockingly slow and not agile for a man of his size, and not really sure. doesn't have the pop for third base, um, and is not like second base isn't the most demanding defensive position, but um, he's not great there, and he doesn't really have the pop for that so much anymore either. Like. He's getting older, and without the bouncy ball, those home runs just turn into fly balls. And uh, I, I just kind of think they took a future look at him and were like, we have Terang, we have, you can't play third, you're not playing short, we, we don't have a spot for you. And uh, decided to turn him into something before he just was a bench warmer for the rest of his brewer career. So um, I, I think we were kind of all surprised by it, at least I was, maybe you guys weren't, but I was surprised by I mean, it. But you it, called I kinda, him like the most important piece of the I did, offense I did do that. Well, yeah. I, if he would have actually bounced back, their offense would be a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> their offense is bad partially for that reason. <laughs> um, but um, I, I do kind of get it looking forward. And he's he's been rough. He gets hurt a lot. He An 80 hit tool is kind of useless if you got no pop behind it. So um, I, I get it, but I'm still surprised by it. Spencer, what do you think? Yeah, I think... Well, I, I agree with Paul on everything he said. I I do wonder, and I don't want to speculate about it too much, but I have a feeling the Brewers were just a little fed up with Urias and his injuries. And the lack of speed at this point makes me think he may be coming into camp a little out of shape. Um, I think they probably feel that he's just, it was just something they thought it was time to kind of be done with it. And they don't think they're getting a guy who's going to be like Paul said, there's no defense. The bat has been fine when he's played, um, but the fact that he's rarely on the field and um, and when he is, he's he's not only slowed down, but he's also not a very good base runner. I think he kind of thinks he still has his speed that he used to have at times on the bases. So um, really his value was his bat and the fact that he's rarely on the field, they figured he's probably due for six or so million in arbitration this next year and they figured that was going to be a non-tender, so they went the direction of taking on an interesting pitching prospect that they probably liked a decent amount and figured it was just time. Yep. Yeah. In uh, two seasons ago, like going away from his injuries a little bit, he's never been super fast, but he's a 40 sprint speed guy. This season, he's a 20% sprint speed guy. Which is Ooh. for for a guy of your you can't be that slow if you're Luis Arias. If you're five nine, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, and uh, man, the Brewers do lead the league in in tiny slow guys. It's really they have <laughs> like they have speed too. Like you know they have the the burners in the outfield, but like Willie's also really slow for a kind of a small guy. Um, but like I I kind of agree with you. Like there, even if you you want to not go the out of shape route, injuries have definitely sapped him of agility and and speed and. That's part of his game. You can't have that. So um, I, I projecting him forward, like once those injuries start to pile up, they usually don't get better. So I, I, I totally kind of I get the move, and I also get you know taking him on to see if you can maybe get a little more pop out of the swing too. So um, not probably not a bad change of scenery candidate for for Luis Sirius. Uh, hope he turns it around. But uh, I, I get why the Brewers did it. Yeah, I could see him having some success in Boston. Yep. Um, I, I guess before we move on, Spencer, you being a pitching coach, uh, what, what do you see? Have you seen anything from Bradley Blaylock? Uh, I, I guess what what are the Brewers getting back in return? Yeah, it's um, well, he had Tommy. He was like a thirty second round pick, I believe. Yeah. Um, out of high school, he had Tommy John. He just came back this year. He's sitting closer to mid nineties now, whereas it used to be. 91 to 94 and maybe touching the mid nineties um, been up to 97, I think this year. And he has a pretty good curveball. Um, some scouts like his slider more than his curveball, I believe, but um, he's also mixing in a new splitter this year, which isn't very good from what I've seen, but um, it's a new pitch. So still learning it. 
command has been really good this year since he came back from Tommy John. Um, sometimes if your elbow is messed up, command can be worse. So it's possible he's always had decent command, but he was battling some injuries. Um, I, it's a pretty interesting lottery ticket to me, honestly. I think he's probably one of the top five pitching prospects in the Brewers org right away when he comes in, which is for a guy that they were planning to get rid of, I think that's a pretty decent haul. Um, I think he's starting today for the first time in the Brewers system. So I'll probably watch that later today and <laughs> see how he looks. But um, yeah, he it's a it's an interesting pickup. The Brewers definitely seemed happy with uh, what they were able to get there. You know, I, obviously they're going to spin a, a trade like that in a positive direction, but Matt Arnold did seem legitimately impressed with his stuff. So um, maybe even worst case, you get a decent reliever Spencer out of this. Right. Yeah. I could hundred percent see that he is rule five eligible this off season. Right. So my guess is they made the trade figuring unless he, completely blows up or gets hurt again that they they probably will be protecting him they traded justin jarvis who was going to be somebody that they probably had to protect so they probably figured that was a replacement for that and now they i i would imagine they'll add him to the 40 this offseason for sure all right let's move on we've got michael mcnamara asking uh another trade deadline question but uh talking about the mets obviously one of the big storylines of the trade deadline were the mets basically uh, punting on their their mega payroll exp uh, experiment, I guess, if you could call it that. Um, or, you know, just trading away their old starting pitchers <laughs> who are basically mercenaries at this point. Uh, so, of course, they, they sent away Max Scherzer to Texas. They sent Justin Verlander back to Houston, and they paid down a lot, a lot, a lot of money on both of those deals. We kind of talked about this last week, but basically they were willing to fork over 30 million plus uh, in both scenarios, I believe, just to get a, a better prospect back. So Michael's question here is, should we be worried about the Mets practice of buying prospects? Uh, Paul, what do you think? No. Um, to, to expand on that, uh, you shouldn't be worried about anything the Mets are doing in terms of being like extra savvy against you because they just tried to buy their way into a World Series and weren't able to do it. Their analytics are not to be trusted at some deep secret level because they didn't get big spending right. And that's the easy thing to get right. So, I mean, it's smart for them to, it, well, I don't know if it's smart for them to go total rebuild, honestly. I, I think that you have enough money that you could do another reload. But um, they also got themselves, I, my understanding is under the tax, um, or at least significantly reduced um, into the tax by doing a lot of these trades. Um, but no, you don't worry about that because that's what teams do when they decide to give up. They acquire prospects and um, they're in the stage where they're buying long term and there's definitely going to be some spaghetti against the wall trades, not just like we did secret scouting and like you guys. So nope, no need to worry about that. The Mets just screwed up and now they're in the phase of building a team where you start to fix your screw up by starting over from scratch. Yeah, Don't worry about the Mets like ever actually is a good rule of thumb. At least until David Stearns gets there. Yeah. Until uh, that. <laughs> so I guess Spencer, this is kind of a contrast of like, say the Dodgers who get the big spending, right. As Paul says, and have a good dev system. So I, I don't know how much work do the Mets have to do here before they get to that level. They've got a ways to go. Um, yeah. If you ask Bob Nightingale, they're going to be hiring David Stearns for sure. Basically yes. after Break that deadline. So. <laughs> Breaking news. Not that it was a surprise at all. I think that's just what we all assume. So, yeah. Yeah. It was just a very funny time to just throw that out there right after the deadline. <laughs> um, honestly, I would say if, if I saw big market teams consistently doing this, where they were signing somebody in the offseason, immediately deciding, well, I'll just pay off their contract and send them over and get top five prospects from these other teams, then I might be a little concerned about it being an issue for big markets, uh, another advantage to big markets. But honestly, either way, um, that's just kind of how it works. I mean, you're a big market. You have that ability to eat the contract. And I say in terms of being smart for the Mets, it's it was a smart thing for them to do. I mean, they did get a pretty nice haul by doing it. It wouldn't be something I'm concerned about moving forward, though. Sure. 
David Stearns also seems to be a, a good direction to go if you're trying to kind of get <laughs> payrolls under control and, and work within budget restraints. Uh, notably, very good at that. Okay, let's turn back to the Brewers now. PJ Wessels is asking about the back end of the Brewers' rotation. The question this week from PJ, uh, which of Tehran and Ray are you okay with making one more start for the Brewers this season? Um, Obviously, Friday night did not go very well for Colin Ray. He got optioned down this uh, weekend. Um, Spencer, let's start with you on this one. If you had to choose one, uh, who would you want to see one more time, I guess? I would still go with Ray. Um, he's been, he hasn't had the bigger blow up starts like Tehran has had. Sure. Um, I guess Friday, maybe notwithstanding, but um, he, he's normally giving you a consistent five innings, four less runs. Um, it's not pretty. It's not dominant at any point really, but um, he keeps your team in game. So if I have to give any of, or either of them, one or more starts this year it would it would be ray for me this is an audio medium but i'm holding up the office meme of pam saying that they're the same picture um (laughs) it it doesn't matter they're 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 the same problem they're they're both low velo guys who are prone to getting battered around um so i I don't i don't care tossing a coin i would actually take ray um we have a long trek record track record of Julio Tejeron not being good and yes he's they've caught some magic this year but Ray is still young enough that maybe there's still something to fix there I, but not really I, it doesn't matter give me Ray but then shuffle them both off to somewhere else for important games please <laughs> it, it helps that Brandon Woodruff is coming back yes. on Sunday yes, hopefully that goes well um you know, I, I will say, yeah, I think maybe whatever upside there is is there with Ray. But as we saw on Friday night, if uh, an ump is not giving him the edges or not giving Contreras the framing benefit of the doubt, it can get ugly in a hurry. Um, Tehran, I just feel like doesn't even hit the corners as well as Colin Ray does mm-hmm. sometimes. Uh, so, yeah, I, I guess that would be my preference. But also, you know, you, you kind of need some some of these guys to get back before you um he can talk about replacing either of them long term and i guess that kind of takes us to our next question from made wiley asking uh looks like all the ray and tehran magic is gone although wade miley still looks like our most consistent pitcher with woodruff back is miley guaranteed a postseason starter spot so <laughs> i guess paul if you're looking at a seven game series you might need a fourth starter maybe so if you need a fourth starter he's definitely guaranteed to be the fourth starter i think the question is whether you prefer him to peralta and yeah. um i think that's actually a, a kind of a tough call um it the thing with miley is when he's not hurt he's actually been really good pretty consistently for a pretty long time it's just a matter of keeping him fresh and we know um, he has like major arm issues that he pitch- he's been pitching through for like years now, and it's just a matter of workload management with him. But like, if you get to the playoffs and you can get an honest answer out of him of like, yeah, I'm good to go for a few games. The bone spurs are not going to bug me. Like, I think I actually do slightly prefer him to Peralta, who who can get you out of games very quickly if he's not on that day. So um, I don't think he's guaranteed a spot, partially because he just might not be a rat. Like that arm might fall off at any given point. But healthy him versus healthy Freddie, I think I actually do prefer him like in the third spot, and especially because Peralta is a better bullpen pitcher than Miley is. Um, you can leverage him in you know uh, situations where you need a long guy for a bit uh, in a short series. That's a better than flipping those two. So yeah, um, it's very likely I think he makes the postseason um, starting roster, and I do think it's it's a close call, that, but slight preference on short series him being the third starter. Spencer, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I pretty much said exactly what I was going to say on that one. Um, (laughs) Especially the fact that Freddie is, he's definitely a better reliever than Miley would be. Um, We've seen him get up to 98, 99 out of the pen in shorter stints. He can, he really has a little more room to wiggle room with his command out of the pen. So um, yeah, I, I think I, right now I would be slotting a healthy Wade Miley into that third spot in the rotation for a playoff roster. Yeah, especially even if um, 
you know, Miley's only good to go for 70 or 80 pitches, those lower pitch counts that they've been holding him to. I mean, that's probably fine to get you through four innings yep. of a, a game three or game four if you need it, right? And yeah, then you it, can do, go to Peralta. And honestly, outside of Burns, that's usually what Brewer pitchers throw anyway a lot of the time. Sure, so, sure. So it's not even that weird. It costs you like five pitches on average probably. So yeah, totally fine. Wade's good. Yeah, let, yeah. Let, I, let him, I, let him I, Fingers crossed. <laughs> uh all right next question this week is about another pitcher who who could have been some uh nice depth for the brewers but we haven't seen much of this year brad westness asking what's up with eric lauer are we ever going to see him again uh so a note on that he apparently in the last week made a, a start at the rookie league complex in arizona it's like the first time in about six weeks he'd actually thrown uh from what i can tell and he's still kind of working his way back from an unspecified health issue so the brewers have been pretty tight-lipped about what's been ailing him of course he he had um some of those shoulder issues earlier in the year but this doesn't seem to be that and they haven't said much about uh what's going on but um you know it, it at least seems to be he's working his way back on the mound so i guess spencer do you think we see him at all this year? And I guess, what does the future hold for him? My guess is that they're hoping they don't see him at the big league level again um, this year. Hmm. He he has been throwing, I think he made two relief appearances in Nashville this week. Sure. And he did, I did see his fastball was 93, 94, which is back to where it was a couple of years ago, although it was in shorter stints. It was only an inning or two out of the pen. Even when Lauer was going really well and everything was going really well, it always felt a little fluky. Um, I mean, if you get that production, you're certainly not complaining, and you definitely sure. take that in the on the pitching staff right now. But my guess is, similar to Arias, they probably were trying to move him at the deadline for somebody, and they probably are planning on non-tendering him as well this offseason. So if they get desperate, I could see him making some bullpen appearances later in the season, especially once it's a 28 man roster. But I would, I would guess we don't see him in a Brewers uniform again. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, I kind of hope he, he is shuffled off as well. Eric Lauer's um, I, I think time has probably passed. He was never a great stuff, like pure stuff guy. And you have to show some developments of your command. You, like you were scouted based on, being able to locate and spin and that's just never really been there consistently with him either like command guys who can't command after a few years tend not to work out and uh you know injuries also just dooming him so if we see him again something's probably gone horribly wrong and um he probably is he's probably done i, I don't want to think about eric lauer anymore honestly um, i'm sure ryan will bring him up next week now that i've said that but um he, <laughs> i have nothing I mean, with bad news uh, of him so that, to that's your guys's point even when he was going well there for about a year and a half like a lot of that success was based on whiffs in the middle of the zone like I forget who put that out that he like led the yes. league in basically middle middle uh, whiffs, middle middle whiffs, which is not a good way no, to live. No, especially when the cut st cut cutter stops cutting as much, that just becomes a fastball down the middle, and we kind of saw the problem with that. So, yeah. All right, um, <clears throat> Devin Bearwolf asking. So there's a certain friend of the podcast who's been saying that Yelich is horrible and a washed player. Has he changed his opinion, or is he holding fast in his opinion that Yelich is washed? Uh, is this, is this, is this you, or is this uh, Spencer? I don't know. There's somebody else. Me. Definitely not Spencer. <laughs> it's obviously not me, because I'm the guy who said that he could be fixed, obviously. Yes, so, yes. And, yeah. Are, so I don't know. So um, it depends on – I don't know who you're asking about, Devin, but if it's me – yeah, he's not washed. Obviously, he some someone fixed him. Um, so <laughs> wink, wink. no, yes. Um, and so, so Spencer obviously also th didn't think he was washed. I don't think Ryan thought he was washed. So um, I don't know. Uh, not sure. We'll, we'll have to go through our list of I, friends we, and see. We need more specifics. We have lots of friends. Um, I don't. F Do we have any like big time? Um, Patreon people who are big on that train. I don't think we did. Did whatever. Devin, be more specific. We'll answer <laughs> next week. <laughs> I, but I guess on on Yelich, obviously he's continued 
to be very, uh, very good, very valuable. So Paul, I guess, you know, he's still hitting the ball on the ground a ton, but they seem to be finding holes. So is, is that sustainable? Yeah, there was a, there was a, a nice article. I think it was at Fangraphs last week um, on how he has, I mentioned this on the podcast last time I was on, so two weeks ago, um, about how he actually is hitting more opposite field uh, with power. And that's actually coming at the expense of what he previously hit in the middle of the field. And, you know, I'm big on him pulling the ball. But what seems to actually be happening with Yelich is that he is correctly identifying um, inside versus outside pitches and attacking them appropriately. Whereas the last few years, that middle profile hitting is really indicative of someone who is getting getting outside pitches and trying to get around on them, hitting them into the ground softly up the middle. Um, that's what's gone away. When Yelich gets an outside pitch now that he can hammer, he hammers it to the opposite field. When he gets one inside, he's, he's able to get around on it. And his weak contact to the center of of the diamond has gone away. Now he's not. Um, same Fangraphs article points out this is not MVP Yelich. It's not a guy who's just you know crushing bombs and elevating eleven percent uh, launch angle every time. It's a guy who's hitting the ball hard, kind of as a spray hitter, line drive hitter that get, you know muscles him out because he still um, has that huge exit velocity advantage over everybody else. Um, but this is sustainable even if it's different because hitting the ball hard will always work, especially in the post shift era. And so um, the one good thing about Yelich that we know is he just hits the ball really hard. It's just a matter of finding holes, uh, hitting enough out to be effective and not having the shift crush him and not uh, and avoiding that sort of uh, easy out weak contact. And that's there and he still crushes the ball. So this is probably, you know, as long as he doesn't have anything weird happen or uh, develop another bad tendency, it'll, it's probably going to stick. Uh, his barrels are up. His exit velocity is as good as ever. His launch angle could stand to be higher. It's 4.5. <laughs> um, it's... It's it's been coming down over the course of the season, which is a little bit worrying, honestly, because if it gets back down into the th- two point eight to three point six range, some of this might not work sure. anymore. But uh, the the mashing has been better, and that opposite field approach on outside pitches has been a big part of that. Spencer, how do you feel about Yelly right now? Yeah, I think the easiest way to say it is he's back to what he was in Miami, but probably even a little better. Um, yep, especially if you factor in the defense somehow suddenly being okay. Um, <laughs> but he, I think one thing to note on the ground ball rate is, I don't know this for sure, but I would bet that there's a lot less choppers and they're more actual hard hit ground balls that are, you know, somewhat one or two hoppers through the hole. Um, yeah. Makes it a lot more likely to, that it gets through when it's not hit a foot in front of the plate and taking five hops to the yeah. second baseman. So um like Paul said, that launch angle, even though it's not high, it's better. And that makes it more likely that it's going to be a hard hit grounder that actually gets through a hole. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much what it is. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much everything is indicative of his, his eye getting a little bit better. He's always been a good controller of the zone in terms of taking walks, but his whiff rates down substantially too. It was 24.1% last year. It's 20.4 this year. And that's, that's like down basically almost to a career low. Um, He's in his early days, he was about that same level, Um, but you can really tell based on all of his splits that he's seeing the ball really, really well. And kind of is in that area where he knows what to do with it based on where it is. I've always said, like, he's kind of two hitters. Even in his MVP years, he was like a dead pole power hitter and a great opposite field power spray hitter. And he basically is that with the pole side being now adequate. So that that's that's kind of where he lives these days. And that's totally acceptable. Yeah, I'll say, too, it, it looks like he's kind of back to just punishing right-handed pitching, too. The, the yep, splits are a lot more uh acceptable they're, they're normal. normal they're not converging <laughs> on reverse platoon splits so fan graphs this morning he's got a 931 ops against righties uh 625 against lefties which might explain why the pirates intentionally walked him on saturday night but i was still or intentionally walked the guy ahead of him to get to yelich yesterday which was still weird to me yep. uh it WRC plus, especially 152 against righties, 71 against lefties. So not totally useless against lefties, obviously not great. uh, But I think considering the amount of right-handed pitchers he's seeing too, the fact that he's punishing those and playing like an all-star against those guys is, is pretty critical too. So, all right. Uh, Luke Roy's suitcase asking, is it time to put some respect with the two 
Jarek Jeter too in respect on Bryce Terang's <laughs> performance recently. Is this an adjustment he has made or just the usual in season variance? So uh, obviously he's back up, maybe hitting for a little bit more power, uh, but obviously small sample size too. So I guess, Paul, are you hopeful that he's got a little bit more pop now that he's back up now? So I, I would say it's more likely just to be a, a small sample size, getting hot jump. Um, but with young players like Terang, um, there is more of a chance that there is some developmental or, or you know, um, yeah, uh, that he's corrected something, that he, he's, he's been down, he's worked on something, he's actually fixed it, and his approach has gotten better. Like, that's much more possible um, with a young guy than it is with some old veteran who's been swinging the same way for 15 years. Um, the reason I'd still be a little skeptical on Terang is he's never been a great power guy in the first place. Like, it's not his calling card. He's a defense-first, uh, fast guy you know, good contact hitter. And uh, the last seven days, he has a 1,050 OPS. Yeah. Um, that's and the last 14, 908, still good. But I would I would expect that that's just a, you know, normal in-season variance bit of pop um, that he has. And, you know, he's not a guy with no pop. Um, Terang does go in fits and spurts and hit, you know, the occasional home runs. But, um, and it's good, it's better than not doing it. Um, but I would still bet that this is just kind of like, um, you know, you've gotten a little bit of a refresher, you're back up and you happen to start into a hot spot and he'll probably come back down to normally normalish Bryce Terang splits at some point soon, which I feel like his, his, he tops out at like, uh, a high seven hundreds, 800 OPS. That's what I would kind of expect from him as his sort of baseline, like high end average. And, and so not 908 or 10,050, <laughs> but enjoy it while it lasts. And maybe, you know, you never know. Maybe you get something out of him. Sometimes power does get unlocked. I think before Garrett Mitchell got hurt, that they actually had, that he actually had made a swing change that had unlocked some power that was sitting in him. And Terang's not that guy. Mitchell's a huge, giant guy. But, uh, you know, it, it's not impossible. Just skeptical until we see more. Of yeah. It. I mean, Terang did have a 927 OPS in granted 15 games in Nashville when he got demoted. So maybe he found yep. a way to unlock some power or maybe he's just got, maybe some, he did. Maybe, maybe he it's did. just confidence Spencer, I guess. What do you think? Yeah, he, um, he has made a little bit of an adjustment for sure. His hands are in a different place than they were. And he's a little more upright than when he was originally on the team. Um, he kind of closed off his stance too. He was kind of, he had an open stance when he first came up. I was looking at his, uh, expected stats pre demotion. And then since he came back and before he got sent down, he had a two fifty seven expected weighted on base average, which is not good. No. Um, <laughs> since he's been back, including beyond, you know, the last 14 days and everything, it is a three thirty three expected weighted on base average, which is that for him with his defense, anything close to that is going to give him, he's going to be a valuable player. Um, yeah. That's, I mean, the slugging, the expected slugging went from 316 to 391. He's walking and striking out at a very similar rate, whereas it was there was a pretty big gap before the demotion. Um, like Paul said, he is never going to be a 900 OPS type of guy. But if you get a league average or even a little below bat out of Bryce Terang, he's very valuable. Valuable, And if it's above average at all, you're that's a really good second baseman with his defense and base running abilities. So um, I have more hope for that than I did in early June right now. So, but he's, he's looked a lot better. Yeah. I mean, especially for, for rookies too, it's that adjustment and counter adjustment thing, right? Like we, we yep, might've seen exactly. this a little bit earlier in the year. Obviously he had a grand slam opening day, that kind of thing. Uh, and, and then the league kind of adjusted back to him, but if he's made, uh, a counter adjustment I think that's kind of encouraging too and and maybe part of the reason why the Brewers felt like they were ready to cut ties with Orius if they felt Terang was back and in full-time big leader level um other things too like Andrew Monasterio somehow being a above average MLB <laughs> player I was not expecting although nobody expected no, it no although that defense has been kind of worrisome uh at least recently uh but they've made the best of it it helps to have carlos santana at first base too so uh yeah that I i'm encouraged by bryce Terang. i don't know if he'll ever hit you know double digit home runs or anything like that but uh when he gets into one and and kind of shows it off like he did the other night with a three-run blast uh it's a lot of fun 
Okay, uh, Jack Bushman asking, long-time listener, first-time caller, is Secret Stadium sauce and Arby's sauce the same thing? Paul, uh, what's the secret? Sure. Hey, Jack. Uh, so uh, you might be surprised. I think the answer is probably yes. What? Um, and the reason I think that is because I'm, I'm pretty sure Secret Stadium sauce is just a combination of ketchup and barbecue sauce and, and fairly generic ketchup and barbecue sauce. And um, the only thing I'll say is, I, I do think um, the Arby sauce is more barbecue sauce, but not that much more. Like you're getting a lot of barbecue sauce flavor in the Secret Stadium sauce, and I think probably made out of also very generic, like Cisco provided products. Cisco, by the way, makes all your food if you don't know who they are. Um, and and so like if they're different, it's like just by a, a hair of like a teeny tiny bit more of one versus the other. So. Um, and now I kind of want to do a taste test, which probably <laughs> I will I will do at some point. But uh, I, I think if they're not the same thing, they're so close that most human palates wouldn't be able to tell them apart. <laughs> Spencer, are you a secret stadium sauce kind of guy? I am. I just haven't had Arby's sauce in a long time, so I, uh, I can't. I don't feel qualified to answer this one. Yeah, I, I'm not a huge Arby's frequenter myself and uh, generally trend more towards mustard on my brats than stadium sauce or ketchup so i i i can't say i actually have had secret stadium sauce so, before what yeah. <laughs> so i also want to just mention also this question doesn't matter because nobody makes secret stadium sauce correctly anymore including the stadium <laughs> um you are supposed to put it on your hot dog or whatever by heating it up in a pan on the grill and then dunking the whole thing Got in it. it. It gets a little more liquid. Um, it's not supposed to be put on like ketchup in a line at the top, which is how everybody does it. In the old days of County Stadium, when you got a hot dog, that's what they would do. They would dunk it in hot stadium sauce and put it on the bun. Um, that's way better. That is how it is supposed to be consumed. You get too much of it as just sort of a ketchupy, gelatinous goo, as it is right now. If you get it in a bottle um, from sports service, whatever, you should cook it that way at your house and not just put it on. Um, if you like it that way, you are being deceived by nostalgia, and your nostalgia is wrong, so make it correctly, please. <laughs> Um, and now I'm going to try doing that with RB sauce too. Get a bunch of it and heat it up. And see <laughs> Don't get RB sauce. Okay. I look yeah. forward to the experiment. You'll have to let us know how it goes. All right. Uh, so Twitter questions, or I guess X questions this week. Uh, Quentin. No, 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 no. Not X. We are calling it what it's As long as the Twitter called. domain still works, we'll still call it Twitter questions. <laughs> okay. Uh, Quentin Wetzel asking on Twitter, uh, when will Jackson Churio get called up to, uh, triple a and why hasn't that happened yet is there a chance he jumps directly from double a to the majors so uh spencer he actually hit the uh or broke a record i should say for most home runs by a teenager in double a this weekend um i know we've kind of talked about like don't be surprised if you see it at the end of the year necessarily but uh, I, I guess, what are the odds to you that he jumps directly from double-A to the major league level? I think a direct jump might surprise me more than him potentially going to triple-A for a few weeks and then coming up. Sure. Um, kind of similar to the Garrett Mitchell timeline last year. I still wouldn't really expect or bank on Torrio being up this year. I mean, it would be, I honestly think he could probably handle it. Um, but I also think that they probably don't want to start that clock and putting him in the middle of a pennant race makes it more yeah. difficult than if he, if we were the diamondbacks with Corbin Carroll last year, when they brought him up and they were kind of out of it at that point. So um, I think I wouldn't rule it out a hundred percent. And I do honestly think he probably goes to triple a pretty soon, but um, well, one to answer that question, one of the reasons it hasn't happened yet is, because before July, he had an OPS under 700. Um, he he had an insane July. He's had a crazy good four or five weeks. But um, so now he's up to like an 830 OPS for the season at AA, which is incredible for a teenager. But if you go back five weeks from now, it, it looked like people were wondering if he was going to be struggling, if this was going to be kind of a wasted season and it was just going to be experience um, going away from the pre-tacked balls has definitely helped. Um, yep. 
But yeah, I mean, that's that's the main reason he's not there yet. I think this run and showing that he can hit when he's using a regular baseball is probably going to get him there this year. But I would be I would be surprised if he makes the jump from double A to the majors, and I'd be less surprised, but still surprised if he's in the majors at all this year. Yeah, uh, I think they're going to be conservative with him as well, and I'll be surprised if he ends up. Uh, first of all, I, I want to say I think he should be in the majors this year because even though it is a pennant race, there's enough garbage bats still on this team that even struggling Jackson Churio is likely to be better than they are. And um, I don't like. I don't think you destroy guys' confidence with a cup of coffee at the majors. Like I think th- that's not a real thing that people talk about way too much. Like. You have people up, you, you, you properly provide context of, hey, you're a teenager in the majors, um, work on your stuff, see how you do, learn lessons. And if it's, you know, uh, you know, if you got to go down for a little bit to work on stuff, not a big deal. Like that's how you contextualize this. And you might catch lightning in a bottle. He might just be awesome immediately with guys on the high end of 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 prospects like he is sometimes that happens and then you maybe have something in the playoffs as well um if you get him up in time which they won't um so uh but i don't think they're going to do that i think they're 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 very much slow playing this clock managing this and are going to be conservative with it Uh, i suspect he'll end up in triple a sometime soon um but i I, he should be there now i i'm very much a pro fast acceleration guy um, but I do think that they let the tack ball thing kind of drag out, drag on their assessment a little bit. And I also think they're not in a hurry. I, they, I think they maybe should be in a hurry, but they're not. They're, um, trying to, they're going to squeeze every last ounce out of Jackson Churio that they can. And if that involves not calling him up at all this year, that's what they'll do. Sure. And I think too, they, they really like, you know, Blake Perkins as a fourth outfielder at the major league level. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he, he's fine in that. Call up our generational guy. Cause of Blake. I'm, Perkins. I'm not yes, saying that's... I support that. I'm just saying I could see how they, <laughs> how they think in that regard. <laughs> um, you know, because I've said too, like I obviously prefer to have Churio in center field against righties as opposed to righty facing Joey Weimer or Blake Perkins. So, you know, yes, that's correct. That's at least more fun. And like you said, yeah, maybe if he gets hot in time for the playoffs, then you have another difference making bat. But um, that's a lot to heap on a guy who's 19. So, you know, very, very few people can handle that. So uh, I, I guess, I guess, yeah, I, I could see a scenario where maybe, maybe they do like the Ellie route and like, put them at triple a for a week and a half and see okay you're still awesome there go for it but uh i suspect paul you may be right i don't know all right uh that'll do it for questions this week uh thank you everybody who sent those in whether it was on twitter or on patreon um a reminder two bucks a month you get question priority here make sure your question gets answered even if we don't know the references you're making (laughs) you'll (laughs) Also get a shout out when you become a new patron as well. And I, I suspect uh, football season might have something to do with this, but we've got a lot of new patrons to shout out this week. <laughs> Although uh, one of them did ask a question this week. So uh, thank you, Jack Bushman, for yep. asking Thanks, a question and, and joining up at that level. Uh, we have also got Corey Frazier, Rob Regis, Evan Weston, and everyone's favorite, the old man on a bike in Sherlington back for another season. So <laughs> Thank you, all of those. Ah, welcome back. Yes, yes. We love those questions. Old man on a bike in Sherlington. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Max reporting is eligible. Um, I guess on that topic, Paul, when, when do you think you guys will be recording one of those episodes? Uh, I think we'll be recording on Tuesday. Okay. Uh, I think we got everybody. It's, it actually comes down to me, who may have a work thing. But um, every, Matt and Jar are free. So I think we'll, we'll kick it off this week. We have family night. We have actual things to talk about. So um, there will probably be a reporting as eligible this week. Yay. 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 Uh, well, well, we're kind of just filling some time here. No, we're not. We're just we're just previewing. We're, we're giving people something to expect. Yeah. I guess, what are, what are some of the things from camp so far you've seen? Um, Anders Carlson might be a really bad kicker, though he had a good family night, um, and may have been picked just because his brother is a kicker who's better than he is. Um, (laughs) but, uh, uh, there's a lot of positive. So the offense has gotten a lot ragged a lot this week by national media because they keep losing to the defense in practice. Um, but individual performances actually seem pretty good. Uh, offensive line 
seems to be working pretty well together. Zach Tom's been kicked inside the center, and Josh Myers' job might be in trouble a little bit, which is what should happen because he's not any good. Uh, Christian Watson's been uh, everything that we hope he can be so far in camp, was great at family nights. Um, it, it, and it's an open question, I think, as to what, what other receivers will end up making this team uh, outside of him. Romeo's probably a sure thing and probably shouldn't be. Um, but uh, everybody's kind of shown something uh, other than Grant DuBose's seventh rounder. It does, doesn't matter. More than anything, though, the tight ends seem to be uh, excellent. It takes a while for tight ends usually to contribute, but Musgrave has had an outstanding camp by all accounts uh, and maybe will step in right away and be kind of that extra deep threat, even if there aren't other receivers to do it. And uh, Tucker Craft has been uh, quite good as well at taking stuff over the middle and creating yak. So a lot of reasons for optimism. Um, there's still Joe Barry there. Um, <laughs> and if you if you want to check out the mini pod, we did previews of um, the Football Outsiders, which is not what they're called anymore. I have to relearn that. Uh, projections that came out this week, too, which have the Packers as a very, very close second in the division. Nice. So, uh, I think that will surprise some people, especially fans of the Bears and Vikings, who are not projected to be first Ooh, or second in the division. Okay, that's definitely interesting and uh, a reason definitely to sign up for that five dollar Patreon level too. You get that Packers mini pod to listen more about that. All right, uh, like I said, that'll do it for this week. Thank you everybody for tuning in. Uh, Brewers will continue their hopefully easy stretch after this. They got one more against the Pirates, then they've got uh, the Rockies, and then they face off in Chicago against the White Sox and uh, the poor punching of Tim. And did you guys see that? By the way, Tim Anderson put, put I, uh, the yes. Dukes up and yes, got knocked down. Man, poor form there. Uh, Very yeah, poor form. Yeah, definitely. Uh, probably one of the worst fighters who were fighting on Saturday night. So. Oof, but uh, so we'll see if Tim Anderson makes that series or if he's still a little woozy, but uh, Brewers still have a continued chance to, to make some hay here in the division. Uh, so we'll see what happens. We'll be back here next week to recap all of that. Have a good one, everybody. We'll see you next time here on Milwaukee.